I am recording from a super creepy basement today. Ooh, does it smell like creepy basement? Actually, no, it doesn't smell bad at all, but I'm sure that the paint that's peeling off the walls is lead-based. Oh, yeah, don't, don't don't eat the paint. Don't lick it. I don't plan. Yeah, I'm not going to lick it. Um, we do have a ghost. Um, I have been affectionately calling him uh, Crosby. But you're actually like very in tune with with spirits in the other realm like do you legit have a ghost do you feel yeah no okay i've seen i've seen him Ooh, <laughs> tell me so um there is a door that goes down to this basement okay and um there's like a little room where we have like a utility sink yeah so i was like exhausted and i was taking my watering can um to go and fill it to water all the plants in the store because we have a shit ton of plants in the store and I opened the door and the basement door was open and I just saw a figure standing on the steps. Ooh. And I was so tired at that point. I literally just said, nope. And I closed the door and went and filled it up in the bathroom. So um, I call him Crosby. I feel like it's definitely a male energy. Okay. Um, I call him Crosby for no other reason than there is like, uh, there was a sticker that said Crosby on the door upstairs. Um, and like, you can see where it wore the paint away. <laughs> so that's his name. So, that's how he, that's yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know his name. He hasn't told me yet. So Crosby is it. Ooh, it would be interesting to look at like the history of that building and see if like anything, anything oh, happened for sure. And this building is actually two buildings combined into one. And it used to have like a honeypot alley between it, which is actually our hallway. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, it's old as fuck. Yeah. It's, it's super old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it's more quiet down here than it is upstairs. So I took the chance to come down here and hopefully it doesn't bite me in the ass. If I, if I hear anything, uh, sus, I'll, I got, I got Joey's number on speed. Time. Yeah. He's upstairs. <laughs> hopefully he'll also hear me screaming. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, but he might just go. That's about time. <laughs> <laughs> Joey is the ghost just trying to get rid of you. Yeah. That's all he is. It's just, that's just it so um so uh that's becky and that's rachel <laughs> and this is mother uh, mother fucking chardonnay and dna okay so i was <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't gonna say this is fucking chardonnay and dna uh-huh. so um, we're not having an icebreaker today because we need to talk to someone that we're not gonna name but we need to talk okay we just want to talk yeah uh, and this is not to call anyone out. It's just a little bit, but I'm not. I mean, a little bit. Um, we swear a lot and we know we swear a lot. Um, and it's how we have been from the beginning of the show, from the very first episode when we talked about Dr. Jizz. Um, yeah, pretty. Uh, I, <laughs> pretty. And we swear. Pretty straightforward, oh. I feel like, from the, yeah. the onset. Yeah. Uh, and we swear. Just about as much as, I mean, maybe a little bit more, but not much more than most podcasts that we listen to. Yes. And especially, Um, I feel like, true crime podcasts. So what we're referencing is we've gotten, I, so at first, you know, if it had been one message, I would have just called it constructive criticism, honestly, because it's like, okay, I'll take that and I'm not going to necessarily change, but okay, you don't like the swearing. But now it has become, we get messages from a, a listener. It's been almost daily for, what, since Saturday? Yeah. 
Yeah, and lots of backhanded compliments. Um, and just lots very, of, and it's very disrespectful and shameful and down talking. And I do appreciate yeah. some of the kind of nice things that this person has to say, I guess. But it's also like it's all wrapped up in a shit sandwich, you know. It's like I'm yeah. I'm gonna talk about everything I hate about your podcast, and I'm gonna talk down to you and talk to you like. And I I don't I don't like being called girls. I don't like that. I'm, yeah, I don't. I'm I don't not either. a girl. I'm not your daughter. I'm not your granddaughter. I'm not your niece. I am a woman, just like you. And I don't like being called girls. I, I think that's it's, very yeah, disrespectful. It's very condescending. Yeah. Um. Also, not being called by names is very not okay to me. Like, I I don't know. I just don't like it. But, um, he, here's my thing. Um, talking about how often we swear and how it takes away from the podcast and how we're much more intelligent. I just really want to say that language is not the sole indication of intelligence. One, uh, two, that's verbal classism. Um, if I want to swear, I'm going to swear. And it's not as nothing to do with being a crutch, um, or, anything to do with my intelligence. I am a very intelligent person to toot my own horn. So toot toot motherfucker. Um, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know. I'm just really fucking annoyed. And it feels like bullying at this point. It, it was like um, getting really harassing and like, it's been, I just went through the screenshots that you sent. I mean, it's been four times since Saturday. So that's like getting right. a comment from this person almost every day. Yeah. Um, and it's very it's emotionally now. taxing. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's just like, I'm not going to be shamed for the way I speak. Rachel and I wanted to do this podcast because we like true crime and we talked to each other about it anyway. And we wanted to put it on a podcast. So if you don't yeah. like it, the reason we have the E next to our podcast name and uh, next to the episodes is because there's explicit language. And it I, you have a right... Like, I don't know if you've ever watched the comedian Tom Segura, but he talks about this. He says, you have a right to be offended by whatever offends you, but you don't have a right to expect anyone to change it. So if you don't yes. like it, you don't have to listen. Yeah. Respectfully, our podcast is not for everyone. No, and we're okay not, with and that. That's fine. Yeah. Like, you know, but I, what I'm not going to tolerate is being consistently like shamed for language that I am not going to change because this is a hobby and this is not something that I seek to make money on or to like grow into a career. It's just really not yeah. like, um, so out of the kindness right. of my, we're heart, not getting paid to do this. We do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Well, Go ahead. Sorry. I, out of the <laughs> kindness of my heart, I think we might have a little bit of a delay, but I, um, I looked up some, uh, true crime podcasts that do not have a little E next to it. So that this person can maybe get some true cr crime content and doesn't have to listen to cursing. And those are Crime Junkie, Dateline NBC, uh, Unspeakable Crime, The Killing of Jessica Chambers, No E on that one, Serial, 2020, uh, cr True Crime Obsessed. Those are all great options for you that do not have explicitly uh denoted that they have curse words so you are welcome to check those out i'm sure they're great please don't message us anymore because it's not going to change yeah uh, beyond that the first message like you said okay i'll take i'll take it as constructive criticism i guess but the the messages right after that 
we have been doing this show for, we're on season three. Yep. It's not like we recorded all of these episodes in the four days that we got those emails. Right. So we couldn't have even taken any advice to attempt to stop, which we weren't going to stop anyway. But I, I just, you know, think I have never once felt inclined to do that ever, ever. <laughs> like email someone and be like, no, no, no. You know, so just take that for what you will, I guess. And, you know, we're not for everyone and sorry it didn't work out. Uh, yeah, and that's a really good point. Like, if you want to offer criticism, you do need to give time for someone to change it. Um, and getting a message every day for four to five days is not the way to do that. We're not constantly recording. Those have been, those have elapsed over these two years, almost three. So it's like, respectfully, thank you for reaching out, I guess. Thank you for listening because you clearly listened to several episodes, but we're not going to change. You have a right to be offended by whatever you want to be offended by, but we are not going to do anything about it because we put out pretty good content. I love to research these stories. And if you don't like my very yep, then that's fine. We have very happy fans who listen every week. Uh, we don't get any complaints. This is, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so. And please, like, I want feedback on things that I'm wrong about or things that I didn't say correctly or things that I could improve on. But unfortunately for you, my language is not going to be that thing. I am uh, nearly 30 years old and I'm very equipped to speak the way I want to. And uh, so is Rachel. So. And very supported by both of our families. Yep. So with that, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, <sighs> yes. Anywho, I do not have any updates. Do you? Um, no. Nope. Nope. Nothing. Okay, cool. Well, I have a really long story, so I think I should probably yep. just jump right in. I am ready. Oof. So this is another Lauren, uh, Lauren lead. Oh, that should be what we call him. Lauren leads. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be very like pretty straightforward, kind of open and shut, but there are, it's twisty. It's turny. Um, the sources that I used are our favorite Wikipedia, um, a news channel three article from Michigan Um, and a really, really great article that if you want to know even more about this case, it's from, um, the magazine called Atavist. It's A-T-A-V-I-S-T and I'll, we'll put the link, but it's really good and really long, but very, very thorough and informative and well-researched. Uh, so this is the case of Andrea Bowman. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So Alexis Miranda Badger was born on June 23rd, 1974 in New Orleans, Louisiana. At five months old, she was placed up for adoption by her biological mother, Kathy Turkanian. After a period of foster care, 21-month-old baby Alexis was adopted by Dennis and Brenda Bowman and renamed Andrea Bowman. So the Bowman family put down roots in Holland, Michigan, and Dennis was a former Navy reservist and worked as a wood machinist. 
Brenda had once worked at a jewelry counter of a department store, but presumably I think she kind of stayed at home with the kids while they were growing up. Um, Andrea became a big sister around 12 years old um, when baby Vanessa was born, but it was kind of weird. Like Andrea assumed a lot of responsibility for Vanessa. She stayed at home instead of like going out and joining in with her peers um, and she kept a picture of Vanessa with, with her at school. And she often worried about her when she wasn't like when they weren't together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Andrea became a pretty troubled teenager. She argued with her mom a lot. And she once ran away from home to a f- uh, friend's house after an argument. Then on March 11th, 1989, Dennis came home from his job as a wood machinist and found that Andrea along with some of her belongings and $150 from Dennis's dresser was gone. Um, Dennis called around to some homes in the area to see if they, if any of the local kids had seen her. Um, Brenda ended up calling the police who issued a warrant for Andrea's arrest for larceny with Dennis listed as the victim, I guess for the $150. Really? I, I'm like, okay, she's like 14 and ran away. Like, that's what we're worried about, but all right. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that that was your concern right now, but okay. Yeah. It, that would like really fuck me off to be honest. I was like, all right. Uh, but I guess, I don't know, 89, like they probably just like, oh, she just ran away. Like per use. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So the police didn't suspect any foul play, but also they didn't look into it. Um, and they just passed her case. Uh, along to the Youth Services Bureau. Um, It's important to note that there was a lot of gossip surrounding the Bowman family. Um, When when Andrea was in middle school, she got on the school bus one day and she was bleeding from her wrist. Um, Yeah, kids, kids, you know, kids suck. And they started rumors that it was from a suicide attempt. But others said that she had cut herself trying to get into her house after her parents locked her out. Yeah, uh, there were rumors that Dennis and Brenda abused Andrea, but these were never really followed up on or looked into by authorities. It was kind of that thing like whatever happens in the home is like family business. You know, it's like, I don't know, nobody. Yeah, it's really gross, but it's just like, I think that happened a lot. I mean, it still happens a lot. Uh, and it's very fucking sad. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But there's yeah. just even less connection with like out the outside world. I feel like back then, right? If a family, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like schools didn't really do anything, so it's just it was all bad. So the gossip continued when Andrea disappeared, and people wondered if she fled because of her turbulent home life or to search for her biological mother. Um, Some thought she hitched a ride at a truck stop or went off with an older guy. And some even thought she was pregnant. How old was she? 14. Okay. So Brenda reported, um, Brenda being the adoptive mom, reported several tips to the cops following um, Andrea's disappearance, all of which seemed to confirm that Andrea had run away. At the end of March, Brenda claimed Andrea had been spotted at at 7-Eleven. And in mid-April, Brenda said she received an anonymous call from someone claiming that police were looking for the teenager in the right area, but on the wrong street, whatever that was supposed to mean. Um, In June, she reported a sighting at a local property where Andrea had supposedly been hanging out with a group of young men. And in October, Brenda said um, that a friend of hers had seen Andrea 
pregnant and with dyed hair in line at the Meyer. Um, I think it's at a, either a department store or a grocery store. Um, okay. Police investigated, but found nothing. So I don't know. Brenda, Brenda seems to believe fully that she ran away and it was kind of just treated as such. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. In 1993, the band Soul Asylum debuted a music video for the song Runaway Train, which featured the images yeah. and names of missing kids across um, across the country. And one that played. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, well, one that played in Michigan actually featured Andrea's um, picture and um, the the director of that video said that um that that song in the video actually helped to reunite two dozen missing kids with their wow isn't that crazy yeah Um, that's not i'm so glad though i know i thought that was really cool but i mean unfortunately andrea was not one of them right so now enter carl koppelman carl's a g straight up g so Carl, (laughs) such a badass. He was an accountant turned armchair detective turned self-taught forensic sketch artist. Um, He left his job as an accountant uh, and became a full-time caregiver to his ill mother in 2009. Then he became interested in cold cases and poured over web sleuths in the database called uh, NAMIS, which lists missing persons and unidentified bodies. Carl's like an OG, like murderino. Yeah, love it. That's awesome. <laughs> so he noticed that the age and condition of a lot of these bodies would make it difficult for them to be identified. And then Carl had this idea. Um, he liked to draw portraits for fun and was pretty good. So he um, used the CD-ROM of this image editing software. It was called Coral Draw. And someone gave it to him as a gift. But one day when his mom was asleep in the next room, he installed the program on his computer. And this was his first step to becoming a forensic sketch artist. I'm not. La- <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Just the- Well, his mom was asleep in the other room. He snuck onto his household computer. Uh, like, just remember, it was just like a flashback for me. That was all. uh, (laughs) I think, well, I was saying that as like, he was like caring for his like dying mother and just like, oh, okay. Got it now. I was like, I was like, you know what I mean? Like sneaking onto the computer. Oh, no, no. I just thought it was cool because like, he's like caring for like this sick mother. Yeah. In his spare time, he's like, I'm just going to solve some murders. Why not? Why not? No big deal. I got time. Yeah, I love it. So he started creating these um, renderings of Jane and John Doe's based on postmortem photos. Okay, this is like creepy, but really cool. The software that he was using, he could like open their eyes and fill in like sunken faces and like add expressions to their faces. Um, Yeah. And even when the bodies had already decomposed... He could, like, recreate their facial structure. Okay. Blew my mind. Yeah. Um, The goal was to make the dead, obviously, like, more recognizable so that they could be identified. Um, Right. Once he finished a rendering, he would send it to NAMIS, and the the database would sometimes publish it. He would also uh, post his work on WebSleuth so other armchair detectives could use it for their identification efforts. 
um, he's a badass and he worked almost exclusively as a volunteer to help solve these crimes and even worked with the DNA Doe Project and has helped oh. solve like several cold cases. I just love him. Yeah, that is amazing. He's so cool. So back in 2009, during his early work, when he was starting out, Carl became interested in the Racine County Jane Doe. Um, she was found in 1999 in a Wisconsin cornfield. Um, and the young woman had only been dead about 12 hours, but rain kind of washed away any evidence that might've been helpful. Um, so it seemed likely that the woman had been murdered elsewhere and then dumped and an autopsy determined that she may have been cognitively disabled and that there were, um, like long-term abuse and neglect signs, um, she had broken bones, a cauliflower ear, and her body showed signs of sexual assault. So more than 50 people from that community where she was found attended her funeral, but no one like knew her name or what happened. Yeah. That is it. So during the research, Carl learned that the Racine County Jane Doe had hazel green eyes, two piercings in each ear, and short reddish brown hair. She was five foot eight and 120 pounds and estimated to be between 18 and 30 years old. She was found wearing wide estimation. I know, I thought that too, but I guess like the characteristics of that age gap probably would be pretty similar. Okay. Um just because, like, they're kind of in reproductive age. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she was found wearing a men's gray and silver uh, western style em- uh, shirt em- embroidered with red flowers. Um, and the manufacturer were able to tell police that this was from, this design was from the mid-80s. So, on Namus. Uh, Koppelman plugged in some search criteria and clicked through the results for missing persons just to kind of see like if anyone might have matched this this uh, Jane Doe. Um, None of them did until he came across Andrea Bowman. So they shared Andrea in the Racine County um, Jane Doe. They shared physical characteristics and their ages aligned. Andrea would have been 25 in 1999 when the Jane Doe was killed. Um, Andrea's hometown sits right across Lake Michigan from where the Jane Doe was found, just a few hours by car um, from, you know, one location to the other. Okay. So to test the possible identification, Carl created a composite image superimposing Andrea's photo with ones from the Jane Doe's autopsy. And then he marked up like the similarities. Um, Carl took the theory to police and they found it compelling enough to investigate to determine whether the Jane Doe was Andrea. Police needed to compare a DNA sample from the body with someone genetically related to her, um, meaning that they'd have to track down the birth mother. Um, okay. So Carl knew that this could take a while or that it might never happen, which forced investigators to also work on other avenues to identify her. Carl kept searching online. What? Oh, sorry. What? 
Okay, I, sorry, you cut out on my end. You said something about other avenues, and it broke up. Oh, uh, just, they were just looking for other avenues in addition to the mom, um, the okay. mom's okay. DNA to try to identify the body. body. Okay. So Carl kept searching online for information about Andrea, and one day at the end of 2012, he came across a classmates.com page for her. Um, it was the premium kind that you have to pay to like keep active, and in order, uh, like in order to really interact with um, with anyone, like using the website. So he was like, "Is this on? Is this like her? Like alive?" In trying to find people, or was it not her? And if it wasn't her, who was it? Right. So let's talk a little bit about Kathy Turkanian, um, the biological mother. My heart goes out to this woman. She had a real rough go of it. Um, she, her childhood was just rife with chaos. Um, at 10 years old, she was molested by the husband of her mother's friend. And at 12, she was raped by a teenage boy. Um, her, her house was just like really turbulent. Her, her dad was away a lot and her mom had like six kids at home um, and was just always flustered and always taking care of them and didn't really, you know, pay that much attention to Kathy. So by the time Kathy was 14, she ran away from her family's home in Virginia to New Orleans um, she had no money. She didn't tell anyone she was leaving. She just uh, would hitchhike or take a Greyhound bus. Um, so in New Orleans, a popular place, um, this was a popular place for young runaways. Um, so she met a network of young people who helped each other out. This was kind of in like the, you know, the, like the hippie counterculture type of thing. So okay. it wasn't that uncommon, you know, for like, young people to offer each other a place to crash or a job, um, you know, tips for staying off the street. So through this group, she met Randy Badger, a 19 year old, which sounds like a fake name, but yeah, it does. But you know, <laughs> Randy Badger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was 19 and had recently hitchhiked to Louisiana from Los Angeles and they quickly became inseparable. And how old was she at this time? She was 14. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, in December right. 1972. Well, so let me see. She might have been a little bit older than 14, just depending on when she met them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it doesn't really matter. I was just But she was young. Curious. She was yeah. definitely, I don't think she was older than. It was the 70s. It was the 70s. It was, yes. So in 1972, Kathy and Badger traveled to South Carolina, where it was legal for a minor to get married if they had parental permission. So she must have been, you know, a minor, which we know. But um, Kathy's parents just gave the permission, gladly, seeming to be happy to kind of have Kathy out of their hair. Um, They signed the (laughs) necessary paperwork and the two got married. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't like she was in their hair to begin with. She was in friggin' Louis. Like, what the fuck? I know. I thought the same thing. I'm like, she's been gone. Like, how how much trouble should she should would she be like causing you? Like, okay, bye. God, the <laughs> you're worst. his problem now. Oh well, her mother, and we'll soon learn her mother is um a right piece of shit. Great, great. So love that. Oh uh, yeah, love it, love it for us. 
Um, so the couple was married for less than a year when Kathy became pregnant. And on June 23rd, 1974, she gave birth to uh, her daughter, baby Alexis, um, which she named her after the, the actress Alexis Smith. Um, while Kathy worked and cared for Alexis, Badger became more interested in partying with friends, including other women. Great. Lovely. The final straw came when Alexis was just five months old and Kathy returned home from a shift to find Badger kissing another woman on the couch while Alexis was alone in the back room crying and without a diaper on. Oh my God. Father of the fucking year. So yeah, clearly fed up with his ass, Kathy um, decided to go back home to Virginia. So Kat- oh. Kathy met her mother at the Greyhound station after a five-day bus ride. Oh, fuck. I am just like, this woman is the true MVP for taking a five-day Greyhound with a baby. I... I don't even want to take a two-hour Greyhound. Uh, for real. Like, brutal. Nothing good happens with yeah. a Greyhound. No, not at all. So, her mom, the true piece of shit that she is, um, this article, like, this long-ass article I read, said that her mom just, like, it wasn't a warm welcome. She just, like, looked at her and the baby with complete judgment and didn't hug her, nothing like that. Um And it turned out that Shirley, the mother, had been diagnosed with breast cancer and had about five years to live. Um, Kathy quickly realized that her mom expected her to take care of the other kids in the house. And while her mother never said it outright, it was clear that um, she didn't think that Kathy should have a child of her own, which is funny because it's like, oh, but I can take care of your fucking kids. Right, right. One day, it's okay then, right? Exactly. And one day, casually, Shirley said to Kathy, "You ran out of formula. How are you going to take care of this kid?" And after all, you know, after those like little underhanded statements, Alexis just or uh, Kathy just felt like she couldn't give Alexis like a proper life, um, and she gave the baby up for adoption. Her mom handled the logistics, assuring Kathy that Alexis would be taken in by a good family through Catholic charities. And shortly after the adoption was finalized, Kathy left home again. Mm. She eventually went to nursing school and met her current husband. They never had kids of their own, but Kathy often wondered about Alexis and if she looked like her and, um, you know, where she was, if she was safe. So that's like just heartbreaking. Yeah. So then, that's not like she wanted to give her up. It was the the best thing for her at the time. Honestly, though, after you hear this, it I, wasn't. But you know, yeah. yeah, and it's like I honestly think she only did it because her mom was such a dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. quite honestly, she had given her. I mean, she was doing pretty well. Like she left her asshole yeah. of a husband and was trying. I don't know. It's just so sad. Yeah, it really is. So. In April 2010, um, Kathy received a letter from a social worker at her home in Massachusetts. The letter explained that Alexis had disappeared from her adoptive home in Michigan in 1989. Police were investigating a new lead in the case, and they needed uh, the DNA match uh, to be sure. So 
Wanting to know more about what happened to her daughter, Kathy searched online for information about the mis- any missing girls in Michigan. It didn't take long to find one that matched the birthday and description of Alexis. When she saw the girl's school photo, Kathy thought Andrea Bowman could be her daughter. Okay. So Kathy learned that Alexis had wound up in the hands of the Virginia Department of Social Services after someone perhaps, and probably her mother, had reported that Alexis was born with fetal alcohol syndrome and that Kathy had taken LSD during the pregnancy, which were both not true. Oh. Yeah. Mm. So, um, desperate to know the truth, Kathy set up a Facebook page about Andrea's disappearance, as well as the classmates.com account in Andrea's name. She was hoping to connect with her daughter's old friends, but instead, Instead, she found Carl Koppelman. So Kathy and Carl are the dream team. And they began exchanging messages and later talked on the phone. Um, Kathy also met other uh, online sleuths that were interested in Andrea's case, including a woman in New Jersey named Sue Kovacs, who helped Kathy revamp the Find Andrea Facebook page and expand the reach. Everyone waited for the results of Turkanian's DNA test to see if there was a match with the Racine County Jane Doe. Um, Kathy also got in touch with a retired Michigan detective familiar with the case, a man named Pat O'Reilly. His frankness surprised her, she said, um, because he just kind of outright said they botched this case from the beginning. Wow. Um, According to Detective O'Reilly, the person Kathy needed to be looking at was Andre's adoptive father, Dennis Bowman. Oh, God. So, Kathy, being the bad bitch that she is, did that. Um, She used the Freedom of Information Act to request his criminal records, and Kathy said that after reading them, she had a gut feeling that this man had something to do with what happened to her daughter. Yeah, so she just knew. Like she, yeah, she's a bad bitch. She knew, like she, her mother's intuition, even though she doesn't really know this kid, right, is like so on point. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So it turns out that in May of 1980, so this is nine years before Andrea goes missing, Dennis was identified by a 19-year-old woman as the man who tried to run her off the road while she rode her bike. During the attempted attack, he threatened her with a gun and ordered her to go into the woods with him. Luckily, she was able to flag down a passing pickup truck who drove her home to her parents, who promptly called the police. Dennis was convicted of assault and with, uh, with intent to commit criminal sexual conduct and sentenced to five to ten years in prison. He was referred... Oh, this really fucks me off. He was referred for psychological... Uh, for psychological counseling and a judge determined that he would likely pose a danger to women if he went free and he was still given the minimum sentence oh my god yep so uh, isn't that do better seriously do better how can you be told that he is a danger to women and still allow him to have access to women i just don't understand Yeah. I, oh my god. I lost my I, place. My rage sorry. made me lose my place. Oh no, you're fine. Oh lord, where am I? Okay. 
Then in 1998, a state trooper in Door, Michigan, responded to an alarm at the home of 28-year-old Vicki Vandenbrink. When the trooper arrived at the scene, he found Dennis Bowman walking away from the back door. The cop questioned Dennis, who told the officer that he was temporarily staying with Vandenbrink, who was a former co-worker of his. They let him go, but when authorities got in touch with, um, with Vicki Vandenbrink, she who wasn't at home when the alarm went off, she said Dennis was full of shit. That wasn't true. So then Dennis changed his story, telling law enforcement that he'd enter the trailer to use the bathroom. Like, you're a dude. You can piss anywhere. Even if you had to shit shit in the woods. Like, he'd been there at least once before, he claimed, uh, when his daughter Vanessa wanted to sell Girl Scout cookies to Vandenbrink, which is just so... That's... He's so full of shit. Like, the audacity. Yeah, yeah. So, the police were skeptical um, and got permission to search Dennis's property. And the loft of, um, in the loft of, like, a shed, they found a black duffel bag containing lingerie that was later identified as Vicky Vandenbrink's, as well as a shotgun, black sweatshirt, and a mask. Um, Dennis pled guilty to one count of breaking and entering. It's not clear what he was sentenced with, um, but it sounds like he had a good lawyer who provided all kinds of character witnesses, including one from the Bowman's church, praising Dennis for teaching Sunday school. Ew. Yep. I I mean, there's lots of people in the fucking church who shouldn't be in the fucking church. And that's one of them. Like... (laughs) Yeah, um, so it's not clear. And even just, like, breaking and entering, like, he stole her lingerie. He was clearly going there to commit a heinous crime against a person. Like, what are you on? Yeah. What were the 80s, 70s, 90s? Like, what were they on? <laughs> I'm so baffled that they think saying that someone was a church going, like, they did things at church makes them, like, a good person. It's so gross. <laughs> and that... They couldn't commit that crime, you know. And that was in 98. Like, oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, wow, there, you you can just see like in hindsight that there were so many times that this guy could have been stopped and was not. (laughs) Why is that all? Does that make you want to throw yourself off a building? Because it does for me. Every time that we cover one of these cases where there was about three, like Samuel Little, how many fucking times could he have been caught? Yeah. But no. But no. It's... (sighs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) So at this point, Kathy's fully convinced that Dennis Bowman needs to be locked the fuck up and strongly suspected that he was behind her daughter's disappearance and likely her death. Um, She continued her online campaign, putting Dennis on blast on social media and gathering information about Andrea's home life with the Bowmans. In September 2013, Kathy and Carl met in person at the Missing in Michigan conference, which was designed to raise awareness about um, and generate leads and cold cases. Also present, Carl noticed, were Vanessa, the baby sister of the Bowmans, and Brenda Bowman. This is when shit goes down. Oh, no. Okay. So when they're going around doing their little introducing themselves, um, when it ends up being Brenda's turn, she told the room, we have a little situation here looking at Kathy. 
Um, and she added, I can see that you very much resemble Andrea. So, which, like, that's a really awkward... We have a situation here. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What a weird thing. Uh, right. Like, you're both you're both looking for your daughter. What? Yeah. What the problem is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, at this point, Kathy just goes in on Brenda. She said, tell them the truth, Brenda. Tell them about your husband. This led to, like, this heated exchange, and then the session kind of got back on track. But later at the conference, Kathy and Carl spoke to Brenda privately, and Brenda insisted that she and Dennis had fully cooperated with the police after Andrea's disappearance, and she recounted even sightings of Andrea. It was clear that she still believed, even in 2013, that her teen that the teenager had run away. Which it's like, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. No, not at all. I just not think that's a load. Of, I just think that's a load of horseshit. Like you know your you know your husband's history and it's been at that point what over 20 years and you still think she ran away no you know your husband's a piece of shit and Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) we both went "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) so yeah she was trying to like explain her side of the story all this and um Uh, Brenda and then Brenda uh, said I haven't forgotten what he did as far as her husband but I do forgive him I take my marriage vows very seriously (laughs) oh my god I take my marriage vows seriously too but not like if my husband was trying to abduct and hurt young women and girls uh, bye like no (laughs) That's not if like I'm sorry. There's no part of your marriage vows that say you have to stay with a man who's a fucking who is a like criminal like that. Right. Like jeez. Um. Yeah. <sighs> so Kathy goes in again. <laughs> she was like, "Tell us how you abused, starved, and humiliated her, Brenda." And Vanessa, reacting to the attack on her mother, had to be like held back at the conference by a male attendee. Um, oh wow. And Vanessa said to Kathy, you need to be put in a fucking insane asylum. (laughs) Oh, my God. Mm. Which, I mean, who knows how much Vanessa knew about. Yeah, she was the younger one, right? Yeah, she was the baby when when uh, Andrea. And they could have been very good to her and she doesn't. You know what I mean? She has a memory of that. Yeah, for sure. And And I think it's less. I mean, I don't know because he sounds like a real piece of shit, but I think it would be less likely for Dennis to abuse his own biological kid than one that was adopted. Just like there might be some kind of line there. So, yeah, she probably didn't see any part of that side of him. Yeah. Um, Okay, so after the conference, Kathy hired Jeffrey Floor, a former Michigan state trooper who then worked as a private investigator. Um, because like Kathy or Carl weren't in the state of Michigan, like they weren't nearby. So they wanted someone that was to like stay really involved in the case. So Floor managed to get his hands on Andrea's police file, which revealed that four months before her disappearance, police responded to allegations of abuse in the Bowman home. The report didn't go into detail about what happened, but um, 
just noted that the local police determined that the allegations weren't true. Based on what? I have no idea. Mm, yeah. So based on no fucking actual investigation, it, I'll tell you that. Based on the dad, it was pro- like a small town, and the dad was probably like, "Oh, you know how these teenage girls are." Rah, rah, rah. Right. So, needless to say, Kathy and Carl were also not convinced, and they ended up kind of putting more pieces together from Andre Andrea's school friends and like neighborhood people who um, confirmed that she had confided in them about the abuse at home um, neighbors and local families who knew Dennis reported that he talked about sexual conquests and generally they felt uneasy around him. Ew. Yeah. Um, an anonymous who talks about that with their, what I mean in general, but like, especially with their neighbor, with their like neighbor, like, ew, dude, like no one thinks I don't understand that. Ugh. Um, but no, everyone just thought he was a weirdo, so it didn't work with whatever he was trying, whatever pissing contest he was trying to like pull. Yeah. So an anonymous woman even came forward after seeing Kathy's Facebook about Andrea, stating that she was the victim of of an attack that she believes was by Dennis when she was just six years old. Um, they gave her the fake name of Melissa in the article. But she says that he lured her into his truck saying that he could show her some puppies and took her into a barn to assault her. Luckily, he got like scared off by um, dogs barking or something. So he thought someone was coming, but he had like taken off her clothes, put tied her shirt around her mouth. Um, Luckily, yeah, luckily he he was chased out. and people ended up finding her on the main road and called 911. But, she, but the little girl was just left, like, naked and walking alone. It's so gross. But this Melissa, also a badass, she just, she continued to help Carl and Kathy with the investigation. Oh, good. I'm glad. I know. That, like, what a way to stick it to them. Good job. Yeah. So this left Kathy and Carl just convinced that Dennis was behind Andre's disappearance. They met in Michigan uh, several times with a detective who took over the case, and the detective definitely agreed that Dennis was suspicious, but it didn't really give him enough evidence to arrest him. Um, Somehow, Kathy became convinced that Andrea was buried right in the Bowman's backyard under a concrete slab. In 2019, the Racine County Jane Doe, so the one that um, they thought could have been her. I don't know what what they don't address is what ever happened with the DNA, but it clearly wasn't a match because it ended up being identified as 19-year-old Peggy Johnson, um, who had been abused and murdered by a woman she worked for. This is actually a crazy story, and I'm wondering if I can find out more for an episode sometime. Yeah. This woman she worked for was like a nurse and she was some kind of like <clears throat> nanny or housekeeper, but she like kept her the nurse kept Peggy Johnson locked up and, like, abused her and tortured her and shit. Oh, my God. It's a really wild story. Like, the the long article goes into um, more about that, but it's crazy. Um, yeah. So, that, but that really extinguished any hope in Kathy and Carl that this may have been Andrea. But it's kind of cool because they did kind of help sort of find her, like, find out what happened to her, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, I kind of do hope you do the other ones now. I just want to. I know, isn't that wild? Yeah. Um, 
And and I mean, she like I'll probably have to do some kind of like graphic content warning on that story because the, she was <clears throat> she was terribly terribly abused and tortured. This makes me really sad. It makes me think of um Sylvia Likens. Oh yeah, is that? I think that might be. Like where they kept her in the and just abused the hell out of her. It was awful. Yeah, no, that's uh, awful, it. Sounds very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just two weeks after the identification of the Racine County Jane Doe on November twenty second, two thousand nineteen. So we're in two thousand nineteen. Like it's been thirty years since Andrea disappeared. Um, Kathy received a call from the previously mentioned Melissa who simply said they got him. So it turns out that Dennis Bowman had been arrested that day for the 1980 murder of another young woman, 25-year-old Kathleen Doyle of Norfolk, Virginia. Kathleen was found two days after her murder and she'd been stripped, gagged, strangled with electrical cord, then raped and stabbed. Authorities collected semen from the scene, but had few leads until serial killer Henry Lee Lucas was arrested in 1983, who claimed that he and his little murder partner had been responsible for Kathleen's murder. Um, However, the next year, police charged the the two men, um, but Lucas's confessions were later revealed to be false. And the charges were dropped, which I'm just like, why are you false confessing? Like, you are a special kind of arrogant to be. There's a bunch of them that do that. I don't. And I really don't get it. Like, they just want the fame or something. But I'm like, I I just don't understand how that serves you. I really don't. I I don't know if maybe they think it means they're going to be a badass in prison or like, I don't don't know. Because the confessions only, you know, seem to come out either when they need something or like, you know what I mean? Like. That's true. Like, if there's some kind of deal or something. Yeah, I don't know. I've never watched the um, that movie about him. I haven't either. The, like, 600 murders he confessed to or some shit. Oh, Lord. Was it that, was it that many that he confessed to? Yeah, the, the confession killer is about him. Oh, on Netflix. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wonder, but how but many think, of those are even legit? <laughs> yeah, I, I truly don't know because there's only three confirmed. Hmm. But look, and he's a he's an interesting looking fellow. Is he? Is he creepy? Yeah, he's creepy. Mm, yeah, he's creepy. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Well, so those oh. charges ended up they were dropped. So Kathleen Doyle was not murdered by that piece of shit. She was murdered by this piece of shit. So okay. it, by the late like 2010s, kind of sprang up genetic genealogy, and Norfolk investigators partnered with Parabon Nano Labs who were like a leader in the field to test DNA collected at the scene of Kathleen Doyle's murder. And soon based on the genealogical research, they had a list of more than 30 suspects. So investigators needed to collect DNA from each person on the list to conduct um, a direct comparison. In 2019, Norfolk detectives were able to collaborate with detectives in Michigan who had Dennis's DNA on file and they were willing to share it for comparison. It was actually really cool. It's like all the stars kind of aligned because the Norfolk detectives and detectives from Michigan were like at this like conference thing. And they sort of 
talk to Norfolk sort of talked to like Michigan and they were like, Oh, we might, you might want to test this guy because he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's how Dennis Bowman kind of like came up sort of, sort of easily. So the results confirmed that the semen found at the scene of Doyle's murder came from Dennis Bowman. Dun, dun, dun. And Norfolk police issued a warrant for his arrest. And that's when Melissa called Kathy and said, got him. Mm -hmm. So he admitted to entering Kathleen Doyle's home through a back window. He claimed that he was in Norfolk, Norfolk for his annual two week service in the Navy Reserve. And he said he had been drunk and that it was an attempted robbery. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. He said he didn't expect to find Doyle in the house and that he didn't plan to kill her, which I think is horseshit because of the way in which she was murdered. Like electrical cord, like, I don't know. It's just like, dude, that just seems premeditated as a book. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so it says he didn't plan to kill her. Um, and at that time when he was arrested, or no, at that time when he committed that murder, he was literally awaiting trial for the attempted assault of that 19-year-old on the bike. So this motherfucker, like, the hubris. Like, he, it's so arrogant. <laughs> he thinks that he can just, like, you're literally yeah. awaiting trial and you're assaulting another woman. What? Yeah, that's not the balls on that. Man. Brass out of balls level. So... Kathy learned um, that she kind of inadvertently played a role in solving Kathleen Doyle's murder um, because Jeffrey Floor, the private detective, told her that at some point the Bowmans had visited the um, county sheriff's office to report Kathy for harassment. Um, <laughs> they claimed that she was making defamatory accusations about Dennis online and investigators offered Dennis a bottle of water, and then they kept it, and then they tested it for his DNA. <laughs> Which is, like, so fucking funny to me. It's like, yeah. like that that came so beautifully full circle. I, I love it so much. So then what about Andrea? Like, that's now we're, now we have all of this, like, he's getting arrested. That's great. But... Then, so in February 2020, so like the next year, Melissa called Kathy again, reporting that there was a forensics team on the Bowman property this time with a crime scene, tent, and dogs in the backyard, which the authorities were digging up. So later that day, the police held a press conference and they announced that human skeletal remains had been found and they likely belonged to Andrea Bowman. The police needed to confirm her identity, so Kathy provided her DNA immediately. In March, almost 31 years to the day after Andrea disappeared, the results came back. There was a DNA match, and Kathy had been right, and not just about what happened to her daughter. The police had found Andrea's remain, but remains beneath the concrete slab behind the Bowman's house. Which... She was right. She was right. And I think that is so crazy because there was really not like a rhyme or reason. Like I read that she and Carl were kind of like staking out their property and she like had binoculars and saw this concrete slab and she was like, she's buried under <clears throat> there. Like I know you she's know. under there. It was like just mother's instinct. Yeah. Which is, is so crazy because she like didn't even know 
Andrea, it's just like this, just this yeah. gut, like knowing, like that's where my kid is. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, my heart breaks for her. I know this poor woman. She's such a badass. So of course, a piece of shit Dennis uh, claimed that this was an accident. Um, he said that they were arguing and he slapped her, causing her to fall back and like fall and break her neck, which is okay. Like, oh yeah, how how'd she fall back onto her neck? Yeah, and then he reports it missing to cover it up. What? So yeah, <laughs> so. That was the story he told Brenda in correspondence from prison. And in June 2020, Dennis received two life sentences plus 20 years for killing Kathleen Doyle. He was ordered to serve his time in Michigan, where then he would stand trial for Andrea's murder. So his first hearing was held in February 2021. And because of uh, the COVID pandemic, the proceedings were live streamed and Carl and Kathy were able to watch from their computers. Um, Brenda took the stand first and she tearfully recounted how she'd made uh, missing person posters because she believed Andrea had run away. And I think she did believe that. Um, I think she Wait. did. What? I don't. At first, I think she did. But how do you explain the concrete slab in the backyard all of a sudden? And well, I'll get I'll get to that. Okay, all right. So she said she learned the truth <clears throat> only after Dennis was arrested in the Kathleen Doyle case. And when she was asked whether Andrea had ever accused Dennis of molesting her, Brenda said yes, but she didn't believe Andrea. Piece of shit. Yep. She said, that's a lie, and you know it, when Andrea came to her with that. Great. So it was Brenda who told police where to find Andrea's remains. Um, in a call from prison, Dennis had confessed to burying their daughter in the backyard. But Brenda hadn't believed him because they actually hadn't lived in that house uh, in Hamilton um, when in Hamilton, Mich uh so at first with Andrea, they lived in Holland, Michigan. And now when this happened, they lived in Hamilton. So she's like, how could she be buried here? Um, yeah. Like we didn't even live here then. To Brenda's horror, allegedly, Dennis explained that he'd move their daughter's body to the new property as soon as they signed the papers for it. Oh my God. The cement slab was like a headstone. like that Brenda says that she doesn't know was there. I I don't think I I don't think that she wanted to think this of her husband, but to me it's like your daughter goes missing and you know all this crazy gross shit about your husband. Like how do you not question that? Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I just don't buy it. I don't necessarily think that she knew I don't know. But if you're if your adopted daughter is coming to you and saying she's being sexually assaulted by your. Oh, there's so many just. I know. So I don't know if it was that she really was one. She really didn't know. She was a total idiot and just didn't know and was like blindly like, oh, yeah, my daughter just ran away. Or two, she like. Did know and 
just sort of put up, maybe she did know and just kind of put up this act so that her husband wouldn't get arrested. Or like yeah. a combination of both of like, I really don't want to even think of this. So I'm just going to go with that. She ran away, even though I know deep down, that's probably not what happened. Right. Right. So, ugh, um, Okay, so then testimony from experts involved in Andrea's recovery and autopsy revealed that she had been dismembered. Dennis wrapped her body parts in plastic bags and stuffed them into a cardboard barrel before burying them. The remains were too decomposed to establish an official cause of death, but the circumstances were sufficient for the medical examiner to rule what happened as a homicide. Obviously. Mm. So... There were, like, even more, um, throughout all of this, like, Carl and Kathy found there were even more murders and attempted child abductions, attempted assaults, abuse that came to light after Bowman's arrest that were likely done by him. And um, Kathy decided that she really wanted her daughter to be buried as Alexis Badger, the name that she had given her. Yeah. So the sentencing hearing was actually just held on <clears throat> on Monday, on February 7th, 2022. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> so now 75, Dennis Bowman was sentenced to 35 to 50 years for second degree murder of Andrea. Um, I don't really understand the second degree part, except that what I think is that they're probably just going with his story that it was an accident and he's 75 like he's not going to get out of jail yeah Um, but the judge uh, margaret baker said that she didn't give bowman the life sentence because he would be eligible for parole in 15 years and she felt that he shouldn't be up for parole and needs to serve longer than that i mean likely in 15 years he'd probably be dead anyway but say the motherfucker does live until 90 plus like he doesn't he shouldn't get parole so um yeah the judge said mr bowman is not safe to be in our community i have to make sure our society is safe here i've been in this business for 40 years almost i don't think i've ever read anything this disturbing so his gross ass will rot away in jail and yep and i just wonder how like he he was like a fucking spree killer or maybe not killer but attacker i mean he i wonder how many people probably women he has murdered that we don't even know yeah and if they're gonna come out or if it's just gonna fucking sit there i just it's just really strange, like, that there was, again, there were so many opportunities for him to be caught previously, mm-hmm. you know, and here we are, and he and he's ancient and, you know, got to live a lot of his life. Yep. And I, I think it's, um, I think it's really interesting because he was like a Navy reservist and like this rugged um dad and husband like i i just think he knew how to sort of fly under the radar a little bit and for some reason what the shit that he said <clears throat> cops a lot of times just ate it up back then yeah yeah and it's so it's so like strange 
how, yeah, there were just so many times that this could have been stopped and it wasn't. Um, and I really wonder now, like Kathy and Carl have already um, figured out a lot of cases that they believe or have figured out he was connected to. And I don't know, this could, he could honestly be like a spree or serial killer. Yeah, I, I think more are definitely going to come out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, but like, uh, yeah, he's a really bad, gross dude, and Kathy is. <clears throat> she has my heart. Yeah, she's a badass. She really is. Like through and through, that's good for her. I mean, I'm I'm really glad that she pursued it as much as she did. Yeah, and that like that must be that must feel in some way rewarding because it's like I I can't imagine all the guilt like she thought she was doing the right thing for her daughter and it ended up the way it did which is so heartbreaking yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and she was dead on each time like Mm -hmm. yep which I think shows that like she really did she really did want what was best for her you know she she never wanted that connection to her daughter cut off. It just was sort of like circumstantial. Yeah, she didn't, she really didn't have a choice and she did what she thought was best for her kid. And I mean, that's admirable too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. This whole is. thing is just so sad. It's so sad. And there's so many. And I think there are so many more. Um, but yeah, thank you, Lauren, for the devastating story. You there? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, there was a major lag. I know, we kind of been having that I today. can hear myself, but yes, it's oh, little, okay. you know, it's Crosby. It's his fault. <laughs> All right. Well, anything for padded room? I mean, I think we kind of handled padded room at the beginning of the episode too. Oh yeah, that was a lot. Um, no, not really. I don't. I don't. Uh, no. You? I did. I did watch and finish uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me. It was. It was good. Um. some of the acting was a little cheesy for me. Okay. But I liked it. Like um, the I priest? Think, um, yeah, I guess so. And I, I mean, I fucking hated what's her name. That was a Beverly. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. She was just the absolute worst. Yeah. I don't know. Just some of, some of the acting I found a little bit campy. Not really the priest. I guess it was more, um, I guess it was more like some of the townspeople, like the mayor. He, I found him like really annoying, um, okay. but I liked it. I thought it was good. And I thought it was, I thought it was so interesting that they thought they genuinely thought that this angel was like fallen from heaven. And I'm like, that is clearly the devil. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is a hundred percent a fucking vampire. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was good. Yeah, it was interesting. It was thought provoking. I liked it. Oh, you know what it was? I'm thinking now it's some of those monologues. I was like, can you just shut up? 
Oh, yeah. Everybody complained about the monologue. Oh, like it. did they? Because I was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is so boring and long. Yeah, it was just like that's so and it, did, it just didn't feel natural. Like people don't talk that way. Yeah, yeah, it was there. People bitched about the monologues a lot and just like out here, <laughs> out here fucking monologuing. Yeah, you know? seriously, when there's like when there's like dead cats washing up and shit and you're just like talking about mortality i'm I'm just like yeah. but wait you guys should probably go figure out what's with these cats like what are yeah, you why are there dead cats everywhere like, yeah <laughs> this is not the time uh to monologue yeah but okay yeah so it was just some of that but it was it was good i i enjoyed it nice nice i like it um i'm glad you liked it i i am trying to think honestly i just truly don't have anything that's okay. You don't have to have anything. You're good. Yeah. That was yeah. a really long story. I'm burnt out. My voice hurts. Yeah. Under- understandable. Um, all right. Well, I'll do a socials real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is Chardonnay and DNA. All right. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Chardonnay and signed DNA. <laughs> uh, throwing you off for a loop there. No, it's uh, not. No, it's not. <laughs> Instagram is Chardonnay uh, A N D D N A. Fuck Twitter. Uh, don't email us. All right. Thanks. Okay. Well, with that being said, um, stay weird and kick rocks and eat glass and all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.